Well, let's continue on in our study in Philippians. Philippians is a great book. It's one of my favorite. Uh, A lot of you probably, if you were to ask, what is your favorite verse in Scripture? Many of you might point to one that is actually in Philippians. Um, Some of it, uh, as we read through, is, is kind of interesting, but we're not real sure how to apply it to our lives. But what we do know is that Paul did some incredible things with his life. And not only did he do some incredible things, he taught us what does it look like to really follow Jesus. Uh, As we go through the book of Philippians, not only do we want to be able to look at the content and be able to learn something from it, we're using this as an opportunity to teach you some basic principles so that you can go into your own study, your own time at home or at work or wherever you are, and you can pull more out of Scripture than maybe that you're used to. And so I hope that you're taking that opportunity to practice some of these things. We've given you six basic questions that we're going to go through each week. Um, You can, if we'll throw those up, those six basic questions begin with the very simple, who is writing this? And this is a letter. Not every book in Scripture is a letter, but this one is. So to to transfer that to somewhere else that you're reading, just who is writing this information? Who is writing it? And uh, the second question We know it's Paul. Who is Paul talking to? It's important to know who a person is talking to. If you've ever caught the tail end of a conversation and you didn't know who they were talking about, you know why it's important to know who someone is talking about and who he's talking to. The third one is where we get into a little more of the basic study. What is Paul saying? Why is Paul saying it goes a little bit deeper? We need to know exactly why he's saying these things. What is the transferable principle teaches us? Well, what is the main thing in this section? And sometimes there's not just one, but what is the main thing in this section that we're supposed to learn? And a lot of that requires us to go back and study context, not just to understand reading it in the English translation, but what was actually going on here? What was being said? Why was it being said? And what was happening in their life that would have made this significant to them And therefore, how do I make that significant to me? And so that's how we get to our last question is, how do we apply this transferable principle to our lives? And so it's a crucial part of us learning to study Scripture because at the end of the day, if you're going to grow at all, you're going to have to be a student of Scripture. And as I've said over and over, and if you're a student of Scripture, you know this is true, that you will find your most profound insights not in a podcast or a sermon, but you will find it in your own time of digging deeper in Scripture. It is always going to be the case. God speaks to us in so many incredible ways through the Holy Spirit. But if we don't give Him the opportunity to, that's one of the reasons we often don't hear from Him. So I encourage you to take these six basic questions and that you would apply these to all of your study. And right now is a great time to do that. If you want to follow along in Philippians and then just kind of see if I come up with the same things that you come up with, that's great. It's a good way to test. And next week we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. You can read ahead and start to apply these questions there. This morning we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. And if you want to follow along on version, you can. I hope that you... Um, have a Bible either here or at home that you can study through. I love version. I love my digital resources, but there are times I just love to open the Bible and read it like a book. And so if you enjoyed that, that is a great way to study, and I encourage you to continue to do that. Let's go through our six basic questions. Our first one, let's go, let's, there we go. Who is writing the letter? A little quiz here. Who's writing it? Paul, I'm glad you got that one because I already gave you the answer. Good one. 
All right, and who was Paul with? Bonus question. Timothy. Paul wrote the letter, but he said it is Paul writing with Timothy. Okay, let's go to the next question that is something we've already covered. Who is Paul saying it to? Church in Philippi. We get that from the name Philippians, right? We also see it in his introduction in his letter where he says, It is I, Paul, with Timothy, who is writing to you, the church at Philippi. So we know that information. If you are using a study Bible or you're using a commentary that you like, you can go and read about Philippi. We know it's in Greece. It's just a little to the right of uh, Rome, if you're looking at a map. And we know that that part of the world is still active. There are still people living there in this place. It's an important part of the world. If you want to go back and hear about any of that, you can follow along on the podcast Or you can go and do some deeper study yourself. Many study Bibles will have in that first page, right as you enter into a new book, it will give you all of the information that you need to have a basic understanding. You may want to dig deeper and go further than that, but it will give you a basic understanding of what's happening there. Our third basic question we get to is simply, what is Paul saying? And there's a real easy way to determine what is being said. We read it, right? So let's read that together. Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. It says, what then? And this is actually picking up from last week. If you are looking at your Bible, you will have a heading right there. And you will find that part of verse 18 is probably in the section before your heading. Part of verse 18 is in after that heading. And so we remember those headings were placed there later by translators, not by Paul. He didn't put headings in his letters to break up his letters they were continual thoughts so we will see that verse 18 is continuing the thought that we studied last week what then only that in every way whether in pretense or truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice yes and i will rejoice for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance now let's remember where is paul right now He's locked up. He's in prison. They've arrested him because he was sharing the gospel and they brought charges against him. Well, we believe because Rome has at this point not really cracked down and seen Christianity as a danger to the system, to the government system. For them, it's not that big a deal. But they did arrest him to keep the peace with some of the leaders that were upset with him. And likely he's at ho- in house arrest right now. Later, we know he would actually be in prison, but he doesn't know how this is going to turn out. So as we read into this, if you are just looking for something to read in Scripture and you flip through your Bible and you fall on chapter 19, you may not exactly know what is Paul talking about? What's going on here? And that's why context is so important, understanding what happened before, what happened after the part that you were reading. I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with all courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let the manner of life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted for you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. That's what is being said. That's a big chunk of scripture. And we could have broken this up and just gone through part of this today. However, we didn't want to continue to do Philippians for the next year. So we're going to go through this whole section. And that is what is being said. Now, often when I read scripture, I start with the big piece. I read the whole thing and then I come back and break it down into pieces because sometimes there are so many things happening in the big section that I can't fully comprehend what I'm supposed to get out of this. So I will read the big thing for context. If you've got time and you are committed to deeper study, one of the great ways to do this is to read an entire chapter and then begin back at the beginning. What's even better is to read through the book, not just because you have to, or not just because you're trying to get through Scripture in a certain time period, but if you will just read it, not trying to get every detail, but read the whole thing, just like you're sitting down reading a novel, it will give you an overall understanding of what is happening. And once you have that overall understanding, whether you've studied it in the past or whether you take time just to slowly read through the whole thing, Once you begin to dive into the pieces, they always make more sense. They always make more sense. And as you grow in understanding Scripture and you then begin to read other books, you will begin to find connections between them. You'll begin to see themes and you'll begin to understand where priorities are placed in some of the teachings of the apostles of Jesus and of those in the Old Testament. And so it's a great thing to really see what is being said before we try to understand why it's being said. So let's break this up a little bit and let's go through this piece by piece. And then we'll get to our transferable principle and how do we apply that to our lives. So why is Paul saying what he is saying? Well, let's go back to verse 18 through 20 and read it slowly. And try to understand it based on the rest of what we just read. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now remember, what he has said previously are there are groups of people that are spreading the gospel because they love the gospel and they want people to know it. But there are some people who are spreading the gospel who their goal is self-glory. It's so they get a little piece of Paul's popularity. Paul's out of the picture, and so they see their opportunity to get in the gap and get a little bit of glory for themselves. And what he's saying in this verse of 18, if we go back and read that previous section, is he really doesn't care what their motives are as long as the gospel is going out. So that's where we pick up in this section of Scripture. Christ is proclaimed, in that I will rejoice. Then he continues that thought and says, yes, and I will rejoice. I want you to know I'm really rejoicing here. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, the deliverance, we can look at this in a couple of different ways. 
the first thought that we would mostly consider when we first read this is Paul's talking about this is going to end up for his freedom from prison, right? That was what deliverance looks like. If we were just to read through this and think what would be going through Paul's mind, we might read this and think Paul is saying, I am confident through faith and through the Holy Spirit that I am going to get out of prison. And yet Paul takes it a little different turn and he goes real deep, real quick for many of us. It says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so what Paul is saying here is, I am confident I will be delivered, yet I am not certain if that will mean my release from prison or my death. Whichever one, I will be delivered. Now, for some of you that have had a rough week, some of you have had a rough month, some of you have had a rough lifetime, and we read through passages like this, it's very easy for us to read through this and think, yeah, but Paul doesn't really get what I'm going through. Paul doesn't really understand how I'm feeling. He doesn't really realize the depths of my despair or the depths of my pain. He doesn't understand my fears. And I think what Paul demonstrates here is that he understands the value of deliverance far greater than the value of living on this earth. You know, it's not easy to walk day by day if you're a student of people. I don't mean that we sit in the mall and watch people walk through and look at all their eccentricities. We all love to do that to some degree. But I mean, if you are a student of people, you watch them. You study their actions. You see their interactions with others. You're able to recognize when one person hurts another. You're able to look at someone and see when they are looking after their own needs and they really are not looking after the needs of those that are counting on them. You can see that. It's not hard if you watch the news to look at humanity and realize that there is a very real sickness that has invaded the creation. If you've watched the news this week at all, you have seen it in spades. If you've watched it for the last few weeks, you have seen it over in an abundance of ways. We see people killing people. We see people shaming others. We see one group saying one group of people are the most important. We see another group saying, oh no, another group of people are more important. As we look through some of the history of humanity since the beginning of creation, we've seen some really terrible things. If you're a student of history, you know that back about five, six hundred years ago existed the Dark Ages. And in those times, they didn't come on because the sun was not bright. They came on because humanity was particularly dark. The things they did to each other, the things we continue to do to each other, as we look around the world today, it is easy to be focused on the hurt and the pain And yet what Paul is saying is, in the midst of all that's going on, I will be delivered by the Holy Spirit. Whether I stay here in this place that is in so much need, or whether he takes me away to be with him. How many of us can honestly say, at this moment, I'm okay either way to live or die? How many of us could say that? Probably not many. There's a lot of us that maybe we have thought at times, I would just as soon not be alive. 
But for most of us, we have something in our lives that tells us it's worth staying. It's worth being here. But what we see in Paul is Paul changes the discussion from a study of humanity, from a looking at all the evilness that is happening in the world, and he begins to change the perspective for the people that would be reading his letter that there is another way to see the world. There's another way to see creation. Paul was focused on the eternal fruits of the gospel instead of the temporary issues of the world. Now, I'm a firm believer that the gospel speaks very much about what is to come, about the future, about eternal things that are going to happen once we leave this place. The gospel is about a place where we get to go and be with Jesus, with other followers, and we get to spend an eternity there. And yet I also believe that the gospel is about experiencing God and experiencing Christ in this moment, in this place, in this time, until we get to be with him in heaven. For many that live life following Jesus, thinking eventually all this will pay off and everything will be okay, will miss the beauty of walking with the Holy Spirit right here and right now in this place. And Paul saw that. And so Paul's deliverance, he was certain, would be good whether he lived or died. If you had a study, a life application study Bible and you were to read a couple of those verses... What you would read is uh, the notes on that. It would say, to those who don't believe in God, life on earth is all there is. And so it is natural for them to strive for this world's values. Money, popularity, power, pleasure, and prestige. For Paul, however, to live meant to develop eternal values and to tell others about Christ, who alone could help them see life from eternal perspective. Paul's whole purpose in life was to speak out boldly for Christ and become more like him. Thus, Paul could confidently say that dying would be even better than living because in death he would be removed from the worldly troubles and he would see Christ face to face. And then it would give a reference if you wanted to read something in 1 John. If you're not ready to die, then you're not ready to live. Make certain of your eternal destiny that you will be free to serve, devoting your life to what really counts without fear of death. You see, for Paul... Paul believed that the gospel was absolutely true. He believed it was absolutely true. Remember, I've been through a couple of different periods, or I've been through lots of different periods as a follower of Christ, but early on I went through a couple of different periods of how I approached the gospel. The first one, when I was eight years old, I went down front and I said I want to become a Christian and I want to be baptized because we went to church every single week. We went to church on Sunday, we went to church on Sunday night, we went to church on Wednesday night, and if there was anything any other night, we were going to be there too. That was my growing up in church. And I learned enough about the gospel to know that if you didn't accept the gospel, bad things happened. I didn't want bad things to happen. I wanted good things to happen, right? Everybody grows up wanting good things to happen in life. And one of the good things that happened when I was eight years old was that you got to go to church, and occasionally, not very often, but occasionally, there were snacks in church. I like snacks. These particular snacks weren't great, and they didn't give you a whole lot. We had a little, little thing of juice and a little cracker we would get to eat, but only Christians got to eat them. And I wanted snacks in church. Now, that was not the only reason I went down. I had learned enough about Christ that I wanted to know Him, but I didn't really understand what I was doing. 
I really did just want to be kind of in. I wanted to be in the club that everybody else was in. But I can tell you at eight years old, while we don't expect eight-year-olds to fully comprehend everything, for me, I was not ready to let my life be changed by Christ. For me, I was just glad to go through the routine and be in the club. And yet, as I got older, I found that my life was not beginning to look like the things I were studying in Scripture. I was struggling. I was struggling in school. I was struggling in relationships. I was struggling. I wasn't spending any time in prayer. I wasn't spending any time in study. I would go to church, and I would always have something else to do. We had a church library, and they had some books that I liked. So I would go to the library, get a book, and that's how I would get through the different events because I love to look at books. But when I was about 15 years old, I had come to the place where I recognized life can really be cruel. Most people learn that in middle and high school, right? Isn't that your first place to learn that lesson? And I realized I did not have a center in which to live my life. And I was hanging out with people that didn't have a center in which to live their life. And so I wanted that. And so for me, there was one day that I decided I'm going to change the way that I'm living. I found that it was better to just try to fit in than to try to be different. And so I would just fit in with whichever group was the most vocal. And typically the group that's most vocal is not the group you need to try to fit in with. And yet that's what I did. And it wasn't working. So I remember we went to youth camp. We went to Centrifuge. And whenever I was at Centrifuge... I remember I went thinking, I don't know what's going to happen here. I know we're going to have a lot of fun, but God, I can't keep living this way. Now, this is a, I'm a 15-year-old at this point. I haven't experienced a lot of the pressures of life. And yet, I felt and needed something more. So as the week went by and as the, they were teaching and as we were doing different things, my mind began to drift from all the fun activities, which was unusual for me because usually that's all I wanted to do. And I began to think more and more seriously about what does it look like to know Christ. And I remember one night we were getting ready to head to dinner. And we were all standing outside the dorms and this huge storm you know, came through. This huge summer storm with thunder and lightning and just pouring rain. And I remember we, the dorms were kind of in a quadplex. And I remember standing outside of one. There was a big tree in between them. And I remember a lightning bolt just came out of nowhere and hit that tree and went right down through the center of it. It was such a powerful blast that all the windows, or not all, but several of the windows around that tree were blown out. Some of my friends that were standing next to me complained about having splinters, and we were several feet away from this tree. Now, it was, that was a cool moment no matter what. I still love to be out in the middle of storms. I still love to see lightning strike. I don't like it that close, but I do still like to see lightning. And I love to hear thunder, but usually from a protected place. But that night, that lightning bolt was different for me. Because for me, I knew God made that lightning. And that lightning bolt split that tree. And the power that came through that lightning bolt blew out windows. And God made that lightning bolt. Now, for me, it was a connection that you may or may not have made. This this is the way God was working in my life at the time. I made the connection that if God could create a bolt of lightning that could do that, certainly God was powerful enough to be the center of my life moving forward. 
And so that night was the night I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't go forward in this big emotional thing. It was very private for me. Although others, it's a very emotional thing. For me, it was a very private thing. And I just, my leaders let me go walking. And so I just went walking. And in that moment, I felt certain that while anyone who walked up to me thought I was alone, I would have told you Jesus is walking right beside me. It was real. It was real. Now, I didn't see sandals and a cloak and a beard. and I didn't see all that, but, but spiritually, I was not alone. I knew I was not alone. And in that moment, everything changed and the gospel became real to me. Not the thing that I thought about, maybe I need to go to heaven one day instead of hell. But for me, it was, this is real. This is real. Not only is this real, Jesus is real. And he's with me. And I remember as we left camp a couple of days later, my youth pastor, which I really loved him, but we really didn't know each other. But he looked over at me and he said, something happened to you this week, didn't it? Some of you have heard me tell this story. But in that moment, I just looked at him and I said, yes, something has happened to me. And that's all I said. I didn't know what I was going to do from there, but the gospel became real to me. And for Paul, sitting in a prison... The gospel was real to him. Jesus was real to him. Now, I can tell you that in that moment, I was not excited about all the aspects of being a Christian that I had learned about. I remember I had a little track and it had stair steps on it. And it was basically saying, as you grow as a Christian, you will begin to do these other things. And I remember looking at some of these other things thinking, I don't really want to do that. I'm going to take my time getting to that step. But he was real. One of those steps being share your faith with others. I can, we got people to do that. I don't have to do that. I'll just, let's just focus on me for a while. And I believe that's absolutely what God wanted to happen. For me, the gospel became real. As we read through these verses, if for someone to say, whether I live or die, I will be delivered, is someone that believes the gospel is real. This happened. Jesus is real. Jesus walked the earth. Jesus was nailed to a cross. Jesus walked out of a tomb. He knew this was absolutely true. As we read John 14, it's one of the passages that I often read at funerals. This is what Jesus told to his disciples. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas, our favorite disciple, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He believed that. Now, as you grow deeper in your walk with Christ, it is crucial to come to the place where you recognize for yourself, do you believe the gospel is real? If the gospel is just that thing that I'm going to take care of it if I have to, just in case it's real, I want to make sure I'm covered. Then you do not believe the gospel is real. If you look at your life based on what can I get out of life without any concern for what does God say about my life? 
you do not believe the gospel is real. Now, just because you don't always follow all the teachings of Jesus does not believe, does not mean that you don't believe the gospel is real. Because none of us do it perfectly. However, there should be something in us that says, at the end of the day, when this is all said and done, whether my life is taken from me from old age, or is taken from me from a radical, or is taken from me in a car accident, or through cancer, the end of the day, it's going to be okay because I am going to be with Jesus in heaven. It's the reason that funerals for those who know the gospel, especially for those in the casket that knew the gospel, that believed it, are so much different than funerals for those that didn't. I've done both. I hate doing funerals for those that obviously had no interest in the gospel. I hate doing them. Because it's a very different message. Do you believe that the gospel is absolutely true? When we're focused on eternal things, and this is one of the things that I believe why he's saying what he is saying. He wants to communicate these things to the church at Philippi, to this group of people that we've already recognized. They get it. Paul loves these people. Paul knows they understand the gospel, but he's saying these things to let them know where he's at. He's not wavering. When we focus on the eternal, the urgency of the temporary comes into perspective. Now this week, I had to deal with a lot of urgent things. My guess is you had to deal with a lot of urgent things this week. Some of those urgent things, I didn't think were that urgent, but other people did. (laughs) And so it became urgent for me because some of those people write my check, right? Now, there are other things that I believe were absolutely urgent that no one else did. And I had to decide whose urgent things took priority, right? When we look at our world, when there's a great little book, and I can't remember who wrote it, but you can pick it up um, on Amazon. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Has anyone read that or seen that, Tyranny of the Urgent? Tyranny of the Urgent basically says this. There are important things and there are urgent things. When we allow the urgent to overshadow the important, our life gets out of balance. But when we get the important things right, the urgent things lose control of us. When we get the important things right, the urgent things no longer rule our lives. Now, there are some urgent things that rule your life. Water heater busts. Your house is filled with water. You're supposed to go on vacation. It's important for us to go on vacation. Just leave it. That is not a conversation that needs to happen in your house. You need to go take care of the water heater or your house is going to be ruined when you come home. But for the most part, most of us live our lives based on an urgency communicated by earthly things, not by the important things that are eternal. So how are we living where we are focused on the eternal Rather than the urgent. Most of us in prison would think the urgent thing is getting out of prison. But Paul does not see that as what is most urgent. Let's keep going. Philippians 1, 21 through 26. Let's let's read the next section. It says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. If I live, if I die, if I live, I got stuff to do. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. 
I really can't tell you which is more important right now. That is an incredible place to come in your faith. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, this is what I consider to be one of the most important passages in all of Philippians, and very much so in much of the New Testament apart from the gospel itself. For him to come to the place to say, and for us to not only hear him, but to embrace this ourselves, that it is far better to be with Christ apart from this world than it is to chase the things we chase in this world. It is far better to be with him than to continue to live this life focused on the urgent, focused on the negative, focused on all the terrible things that are happening in the world around us. Far better to just be with Christ and not be in this place. You know, this passage also answers an age-old question that many have had, and that is simply this. If that is true, if this is true, then why, when a person becomes a Christian, are they not just immediately snatched up into heaven? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better that in the moment that you decided... I give my life to you. I confess my sins. I believe Jesus not only was on the cross, but rose from the dead. He is my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and let me follow you. In that moment, wouldn't it be wonderful? Just pew, they were gone. And yet what Paul is communicating is there is something that needs to be done in this place. The best thing that could possibly happen to a follower of Jesus is that they get to be with Christ in heaven forever. And yet there is work to be done until that happens. Paul wasn't sure, which one am I going to know? Which one am I going to do? Which one is the most important to me? As we look at Paul's joy, which much of this, and if you read Bible studies or hear other sermons on Philippians, you will see that the primary component of Philippians is talking about joy. What does it mean to have true joy? And for Paul, there were three things that gave Paul great joy. No matter what was happening in his circumstances, whether he be in prison or whether he have some physical ailment, which he said he constantly did and God never healed him from. Whether it be when he was doing well and the gospel was going out or whether others were working against him, which he also communicated regularly. For Paul, there were three things that kept his joy centered, not in his circumstances, in his relationship with Christ. And the first one was that he would know Christ, simply to know Christ. And I don't mean to know about Christ. I mean, he knew him. He had that moment, which really my moment watching lightning hit a tree and then walking with what I believed was Jesus can in no way compare to the fact if he appears before you and blinds you. Because that was Paul's story. But yet, for he and for me and for many of you, the story is different But yet it's the same. We got to know Christ. We knew he was real. We got to see how he loved us, what he gave for us. And to know he was active in our lives. His joy was centered in knowing Christ. His joy was also to know that he was justified. To know that he was going to be right before God. To know that no matter what happened, he could stand before him. And he could stand without fear. 
we read about a similar passage in Job. Job says in Job 13, verses 13 through 18, he says, Let me have silence, and I will speak. And let come on me what may. Some of you have had one of those not-so-great weeks. Let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? That picture of anguish and anxiety. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. He's talking about God. (laughs) Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Paul's joy was centered in the fact that he knew he would be in the right before God. Not because he was a good teacher, not because he was a missionary, not because he followed Jesus perfectly, but because he believed the gospel fully, that Christ had died for him. He was confident that he would be okay no matter what. Those are two things that were the center of Paul's joy. Those are two things that can be the center of your joy. And the third, we see over and over, he repeats over and over again because he knows that the Philippians get it, but he wants to make sure they don't forget it, is that to know that the gospel was being proclaimed was one of his greatest joys. Now, why would that be one of your greatest joys? Why not your kids? Why not your job performance? Why not the new toy you got that you've been working so hard for so long? Why should the Declaring of the gospel and advancing the kingdom. Why should that be the center of your joy? And I will tell you, it will never make sense of why that would be the center of anyone's joy until they have come to the place where the gospel is real to them. See, when I look at somebody and I know that they don't know Christ, lots of thoughts go through my mind. But constantly, one of those first thoughts is, oh, man, you need to know Christ. Because I know Christ is real. I know judgment is real. I know there's a time coming where I'll have to answer one way or the other. And that time is coming for them, too. See, when the gospel is real to you, it becomes real for those that you know. And you want them to know the gospel. He found that his joy was about not only knowing Christ and knowing that he was right before God, but knowing that the gospel was going out to others that didn't yet know. If you had an ESV study Bible, the notes for verses 22 through 26 would say, Paul knows that the way of Jesus is the way of service. He is convinced that he will remain to continue with the Philippians for their progress and joy in the faith. Paul is not thinking about his own crisis. He is giving the Philippians a model of the service-driven life. He truly wanted them to get. You need to let your life be about communicating the gospel. And no matter what happens to you, you can have joy if you will keep the main thing the main thing. 
As we finish Philippians, this section, verses 27 through 30, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, when the gospel becomes central, you're going to have issues. You're going to struggle. You're going to suffer. But what Paul believed was that this focus on getting the gospel out to the world was the most important thing a believer could do. He believed that his focus of the gospel was important for every follower of Jesus, whether that be a person in Philippi or a person in Chattanooga. It was important that the gospel was the focus of your life. For many of us, it's sometimes a struggle to know whether the gospel is the focus of our lives, isn't it? There's always somebody that's got a better way to live out the gospel, one way that we're not doing it. It's very easy to make people feel guilty and feel shame that they're not good enough Christians, and yet Paul never did that. Paul never did that. But Paul knew the beauty of having the gospel central in your life, that it would change every part of your life. Is the gospel changing every part of your life? Again, if we were to read the ESV study Bible, again, study Bibles aren't the all in all. They're just, that's a good next step. This is just some of what you get if you have one. Philippians 1.27 from ESV study Bible. Be worthy of the gospel. As the ESV footnote indicates, the Greek can also be translated, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. Philippi prided itself on being a Roman colony, offering the honor and privilege of Roman citizenship. Paul reminds the congregation that they would look, that they should look to Christ, not Caesar, for their model of behavior. Boy, do you think that could play a role in Christians' lives today in America? Don't look to Caesar. Don't look to the president. Don't look to a congressman. See, many of us are so up in arms. We're not going to go. We've been talking about that in past few weeks we don't need to spend time there but he's that's what he's saying right here in this note and this is what paul is saying they need to stand with one another and with paul in striving for the gospel paul's emphasis on unity may suggest some division within the philippian congregation that's just guessing maybe there was we don't know but he's saying let your mind be on the things that are most important And for us, and this is so pertinent for us, what's going on right now in our nation is that if you believe the gospel to be true, then you are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of another. And so when we act or we live as if what happens in this world is going to be good or bad for us, then we forget that this world is not our world anymore. We have a better place to go. So as we go through this, let's wrap this up. There's a lot more we could stop and talk about in this section of Scripture. But let's get to the transferable principle. Get to our next 
basic question. So what is a transferable principle? Now, again, let me just say, this is what I am pulling out for you. But often when you read Scripture, there may be something else that the Holy Spirit speaks into you that is applicable to something else you're dealing with. I think God does that often whenever we are faithful to study Scripture. But one of the transferable principles I believe that is so pertinent in what we have just read is that the source of Paul's joy was in his relationship with Christ and commitment to share the gospel with as many people as possible. That's where his joy was. That's what Paul is trying to communicate with them. That's what Paul wants them to know. And that's what Paul is saying is important for them. We can't really understand all that Paul was going through. Most of us haven't been in prison for our faith. We can't truly be able to understand all the struggle and all the frustration. We can't understand all the things that were happening to him. But we can get this principle that no matter what, the relationship with Christ and the spread of the gospel were precious to him. In other words, if we were to shorten that, Paul's life was centered around the gospel. I believe that is one of the most important transferable principles here, even if you find some other things that are applying to your life right now. So if that's a transferable principle, our last basic question is, well, how do we apply that to our life? How do we let our lives be centered around the gospel? Again, much of this will happen through what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But what I believe we can take from this and how do we apply this principle to our lives today is another question. How do we focus on the gospel with our lives? How do we focus on the gospel with our lives? I don't mean that we focus on it when we get saved. I don't mean we focus on it when we're about to die or we think we're going to die. I mean, how does every day revolve around the gospel for us? That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what Paul was living. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, when we read that pesky little passage where Paul says, you know what, it's really better to be single because you can devote all your time to following Christ and making him known. He's not saying no one should ever get married. He's saying that you have fewer distractions to let your life be focused on the gospel. So how do we do that? How do we focus on the gospel with our lives? Three quick things, and I'm going to give you a challenge. Number one, we grow closer to God. We consistently spend time growing closer to God. God ceases to be that thing we study, and he becomes, becomes a real person that we develop a relationship with. He ceases to be the big guy in the sky. I hate when I hear that, the big guy in the sky. You know, if I were ever, say, talking about my wife, you know, the big girl at home, you know how that would end. I don't ever say things like that. I don't have any friends that I say, you know, the big guy, that, uh, I don't, you know. Grow closer to him because he is real. He is real. He wants to have a relationship with you. Grow closer to God. Consistently looking for what does it look like to follow in his teachings? What does it look like to love him? What does it look like to make the things that he says are most important, the most important thing for me? Another one, how do we focus on the gospel for our lives? is that we live the gospel in a way that it changes us. You know, we, we, um, for years, we still focus one of our core values at Journey being a place where no matter who you are or what background you come from, you can come here and you can come as you are. That means you can come dressed however you want, whether you come in jeans and a T-shirt or whether you come in a three-piece suit. 
It means you can come and have no problems at all in your life, or you can come being just a, a hobbling mess in the corner. You can come as you are. Over the years, we've had a lot of people that have taken us up on that offer, and they've become part of Journey for a time, or, or they've been, they came for a few weeks or whatever. And we've worked hard to say and to communicate in many different ways. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your issues are. You belong here. And yet what we hope could be unsaid has to be said and frequently. And that is, you can come as you are, but do not stay that way. Do not stay that way. See, one of the biggest frustrations is when you pour your life in over and over and over again into someone's life and there's absolutely no change in them whatsoever. Don't stay that way. If the gospel is the focus of our lives, I'm not saying that every single day you look like a completely different person. And one day you'll walk around in a white robe with just this beaming of light around you with a halo and you'll just kind of coast through life. You don't believe that can happen, do you? But I'm saying you will be changed. Day by day you will be changed. Your focus will change. Your perspective will change. How you behave will change. The activities you spend your time will change. As we read through a lot, much of Scripture helps us to understand how to do that. And some of, it's some of the hardest passages that demonstrate we're getting at the most are the ones we avoid the most. Passages like, love your enemies. How many of us could go down our Facebook feed and it could be said of us that we love our enemies? Fill that in with whoever the enemy is. How many of us have broken relationships with others that it could be said about our treatment of them that we loved our enemies? Sitting right here, what is more pertinent And what is more difficult to see is within our own hearts, when we think of who our enemies are, are we able to love them? I got to tell you, there are some people that are hard to love. (laughs) There are some people that are hard to love. There are some news stories, and my first thought of those people is not love. But is the gospel changing us to begin to love others and recognize What they're doing in this world is because they have been confused by the enemy. But that person is as sinful as me. And is as deserving of redemption as me. And Jesus loves them as much as me. And Jesus wants them to be with him in heaven as much as he wants me to be with him in heaven. The gospel changes the way we see our enemies. What about turning the other cheek? Guys, man... We don't turn the other cheek. We let you know that if I have to turn my cheek, your cheek's going to be black and blue. We don't like turning the other cheek. There are some of those teachings that show us what it looks like to live the gospel. And a third, there are many things that you can do there, but a third, how do we focus on the gospel within our lives? We cannot ignore what not only Jesus said, but the apostles said, and that Paul said over and over, that communicating the gospel is crucial for us following Jesus. 
So we have to communicate the gospel to those who don't know it or understand it. And the reason I say understand it are those that have heard it, but they've heard it from someone who's tried to make them feel guilty or shame, and they've never experienced it from grace or mercy. We have to be communicating the gospel to others. How many people right now are you intentionally communicating the gospel to? And I don't mean that we are going around living like Jesus. I'm just letting my life be the gospel. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Scripture tells us your actions are not a replacement for the clear communication of the good news of Jesus Christ. Your actions may give you the open door, but if you think they're going to figure out that they are sinful people in need of a Savior, and if they will confess their sins and they will follow Christ, believe that He died on the cross and rose from the dead, that they can be with Him forever in heaven, and they can get that because you bought them a donut. It's not the same thing. And yet many people will go on and say, just let your life be a sermon. Let the gospel be a sermon is what I want to say. Let people know that the gospel is real. Communicate it. Those are some of the ways that I think you can apply this principle of letting your life revolve around the gospel. Now, here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to actually apply this principle to your life. And so let me give you, I'm not going to, we're not going to have a grade card. We're not going to check in. We're not going to stand at the door and say, now, did you do what Mark asked you to do last week? Because if not, you can't come in. We're not going to do that. But my challenge to you is to share the gospel in one significant way this week. If you really want to get deeper into studying scripture, not only do you uncover the principle, you work to apply it. And if you wait to apply it later, you'll forget it because you'll eventually get to a principle you like. And you'll want to focus on it. Share the gospel in one significant way this week. That's my, that's my challenge to you. Now, there are some ways that you can do this. I'm not suggesting you need to walk up to somebody and, and off the street and say, excuse me, I just wanted to ask you a question. Have you been bought by the blood of Jesus? And have you been justified by his gift on the cross to you? Or are you going to die today and go to hell? I'm not suggesting you go do that. All right? Some of you have experienced that. Don't do that. Who have you built a relationship with? Who have you shown love towards? Who have you been investing in for a while? I'm encouraging you to find the opportunity to step it up. Now, the person that you're investing in may not be ready. And I don't want you to jump the gun if the Holy Spirit's telling you to wait and be patient. But find some way to share the gospel in a significant way at least one time this week. One time telling you that if our lives become the focus or the gospel becomes the focus of our lives i'm telling you it means we're sharing the gospel with people even if they reject us finally if we were to wrap all this up into one nice neat little sentence which you really honestly is is impossible to do but if we were to try i would say joy in life comes when our lives are centered around the gospel. Joy in life happens when our lives are centered around the gospel. All of the things in our life that right now threaten to make us unhappy, miserable people, they will lose their power when the gospel becomes central to us. They will lose their power. The urgent things will lose its power over us 
fear will lose its power over us. And the gospel becomes central to our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray for those in this room as they are continuing to not only grow in knowing you, but as they take these deep, difficult steps to step out of their comfort zones and share the gospel with others, just as Paul did, just as Philippians did, just as the apostles did, just as so many before us have done. Father, I pray that you would give us not only passion, but courage. And that would be born not out of something that we're just supposed to do, but it will be born out of the conviction that this is all very real. You are real. The gospel is real. And there is a real need in our world for people to hear it. Father, I pray that you would help us to not just follow you, but to communicate the goodness of who you are to others. I pray that we wouldn't seek to have glory for ourselves, but our goal would be to give you glory. And I pray that we wouldn't seek to expand just our own influence, but instead we would seek to expand your kingdom. Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you for the grace and mercy that you've given to all of us. I thank you that the gospel is not built on our behavior, our actions, or something that we have to do to prove ourselves, but it's built on the gift of the life of Jesus. Father, help us to share with others. But first, let us experience it fully ourselves so that as we share, they can see that Jesus is real too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.